0: we go title today obeying jesus by taking communion taking communion is one of those things that happens in the life of not just our church but in the church our church Uh, we observe communion 10 times uh, 11 times excuse me per year total and is a part of the life of our church on certain Sundays, special times of year. I wanna, It made, made me think about things in our lives that, uh, that we do and that we come, become accustomed to and then things happen and maybe something gets disrupted. Well, I don't want to make anybody freak out or seriously distracted today, but I really believe that COVID has been a disruptor in so many ways that's not that's not a debatable statement right of course covid has disrupted many things in many lives and i'll just i'll keep it lighthearted uh, so we don't stay distracted but one of the things for me uh, is that my sense of smell since i had covid has been disrupted Uh, i am not able i I run by the fried chicken place on manchester road and i can't smell the fried chicken and it's uh, you run by the pizza place i can't smell the pizza place this wednesday Uh, we uh, host or excuse me this Thursday we hosted the Firestone cross-country team for a pasta dinner before the race on Saturday that's one of the things that that they do together and so we hosted the team here and they went down and played some dodgeball and coach finally came down to join the game and he said he said man he goes it kind of it kind of smells in here like you know teenage armpit or something and uh, I said it does and he's like you can't smell that i said no i said i really i really can't when things get close enough to me i can smell and so i can taste a little bit um, but it's been a it's been a disruptor and those are things that uh, if you think about covid and the way that it has disrupted many many lives and i'm not trying to be lighthearted about it at all i'm very very serious situations many have lost loved ones it's been a it's it's been a disruptor but a lot of times we look at disruption as an inconvenience and i hope that today in uh, taking an entire message, in looking at this communion meal, I hope that we disrupt the routine a little bit. We just getting a chance to think a little extra about communion. and Or the Lord's Supper, as it is called. The last supper that Jesus spends with his disciples. Uh, we're going to unpack in uh, Luke 22... Some, some truths about this communion meal that Jesus institutes with his disciples. And so I, I hope in doing that today that, that we, would, we would respond and we would, uh, we would focus in and we would say, Lord, would you help me to understand this? I want to participate to the fullest and, and I want to be obedient to what Jesus is calling me and, and us. I want to be a part of that. A group of people being obedient to Jesus. All right, a couple of themes, uh, things that we'll look out for as we go along together. First, today, the communion meal. We see in verse 14 that Jesus is there. Reclining is a position they often were in when they ate together. Uh, And the apostles were with him. The communion meal is for disciples. It's for followers of Jesus. I want to invite you to follow Jesus. Okay, we're not just talking about communion and a couple of, of elements. You know, we'll, we'll hold these up and we'll talk about uh, what how we're going to participate later. But the communion meal is about disciples. Jesus is about relationship. He says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. They were celebrating the Jewish Passover meal. I have a couple of comments about that as we go along. Uh, but one of the things we'll say regularly when we have communion in our church is that You don't need to be a member of our church to take communion, but we do clearly ask you that by joining with us that you proclaim that you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And and, uh, what we mean by that is that you are are trusting in your forgiveness of your sin, your right relationship with God, your eternal life, uh, that you are trusting in none other for those things but Jesus Jesus alone gives us salvation. Jesus alone forgives our sin. Uh, He was buried in a tomb. He he rose from the dead. He's got power over death, and he lives and reigns. And as we'll see, he's got a lot to say about the future that even comes into play in communion. And and so when we say we're going to gather together for communion, it's a meal that is for disciples. And so I invite you, if you're not a disciple, not a follower of Jesus Christ, never come to him for forgiveness of sin then do so today. I would invite you to make that commitment to follow him and to, and to join us. You can participate in communion even today. If today is the first time you make that commitment, we would invite you to, to join with us. It's a, a meal that is for believers and for disciples. Now you might say, well, what about Judas? Judas is a disciple, and we'll get to the, the disobedience that is literally at the table. And Jesus calls it out. We say, well, wasn't he a phony and wasn't he a fake? You can't can't prevent people from taking communion that are not real believers. That's correct. We can't. Jesus didn't either. Judas was a phony and a fake, and he intended to disobey Jesus. But we can give an encouragement to say that discipleship matters. And the group of disciples, the, uh, the faithful, 11, that were present had an intention to, to be with Jesus. They had been with him for three years. Now, if this kind of feels a little bit sudden, there's people that should take this, people that shouldn't. There's Judas who's disobedient, and certainly these other apostles, they're not perfect. Uh, you can read some of these stories, and they've got a lot of their own difficulties. Even right after this, they go way off the rails um, and start arguing about who's the greatest disciple ever, kind of like you know some boyhood argument. And um, So all kind of things happen, but... Uh, the, you he would say, "Well, why is this? Why does this sound a little bit harsh? Well, Jesus makes demands of his followers. He challenges us to obey it. He says that it comes uh, discipleship following Jesus comes at great cost. We shouldn't We shouldn't forget those things. they're They're a, a core. They're, they're a foundation of what it means to to follow Jesus. And so true followers should participate. Uh, those that are curious about Jesus, if you're curious, if you're viewing from home or you're here today and you're not just not ready to commit, uh, that's okay. Uh, observe as, as we participate together, learn, ask questions, uh, all that good stuff. Okay, a little bit of an intro. Second, we will see that uh, communion is taken in the present, but it looks backward and forward. Why do we take communion? Jesus gives an explicit command in these verses to do this in remembrance of me. We'll we'll get there. But that's the goal, is to look backward, is to remember that Jesus died on a cross for us. But in the original context of this meal, he hadn't died yet. And so even the very meal itself is pointing forward to something that would happen. That's That's the parallel that we have with the Passover meal. Now, if you're not familiar with what the Passover meal is, it's a meal that the Jewish people celebrated for centuries since God brought them by his miraculous power out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And the last plague upon Egypt that finally convinced Pharaoh to let the people go is the plague of the firstborn. And so all throughout that uh, night, the firstborn in the land of Egypt was killed by the angel of the Lord. But for the Israelites who had put blood, the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their doorways, the angel would skip over their house. And so that Passover meal, the eating of the lamb and, and the, the blood on the doorways, that was a, a, it was prophetic in the sense that it looked forward to God's miraculous work. Same way as Jesus gathers with his disciples, it looks forward to his miraculous work of dying on a cross and saving us from our sin. And so as we partake of communion, it also looks forward. That's this language that we see here. I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I want to talk a little bit about The kingdom of God. So we're looking backward. We're remembering what Jesus did. But in the same way, we do have an anticipation of what is yet to be fulfilled. All right, so the kingdom of God is a big concept. Uh, We see it talked about a lot more in the New Testament than we do the Old Testament. And uh, here's one of the very first references, Mark 1.15. Uh, Jesus uh, says this, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel or the good news. Okay, so he's, re- he's referring to our belief in the good news of Jesus in the same way as he is that the kingdom of God is among us. All right, here's John chapter 3. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. A symbolic language for us to be Reborn to make a commitment to follow Jesus is to have God come into our lives and make us something new. It's the verse that Andy read for us that in Christ we are a new creation, that God, we are reborn in him. And and when we do that, we are a part of the kingdom of God unless we are reborn spiritually. God does a work to make us new inside. Unless uh, the Holy Spirit is working, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is something present. We can enter it. Through faith in Christ and by the work of the Spirit in our lives, we are reborn and we're a part of the kingdom of God, so it's present, uh, but it is also future. Here's the verse from Luke I, I will tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God is yet something future as well. Here we see in Revelation 5, I know I'm moving fast, all right, but this is the goal here is just a short little survey of seeing some samples of usage of the terminology of the kingdom of God. Here's Revelation. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And so there are people right now uh, people, Everybody who comes to Jesus Christ, everybody who places their faith truly in him is being added to the kingdom. We're saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It covers our sins and we're added to the kingdom and becoming a part of the kingdom. And so is the kingdom done being fulfilled? No. At this point in prophecy in the future, yes. <laughs> All right, There will be a time when the kingdom is fulfilled and that's what Jesus is, is referring to that uh, here in in the communion, the the last supper, the time that he has with the disciples, he is saying, yes, this meal looks forward to the fulfillment of the kingdom. If our obedience to Jesus is remembering him in this meal, is tied to the kingdom present and, and people joining it and the kingdom expanding, then we also must see kingdom future we need to know we're a part of something greater the kingdom won't be complete until the full number of people are are brought in i want to point out to you unless you've the light bulb's already gone off there is a connection then between communion and evangelism how about that in obeying jesus in communion we are saying yes lord we desire the fulfillment of your kingdom I want the last person to come into the kingdom soon so it can all be fulfilled. (laughs) I want to see that happen. And so in joining and being obedient in communion, we're we're saying, yes, Lord, we we want to see the furthering of your kingdom as well. So we have a couple of references here uh, as they're celebrating the Passover meal together. In 1 Corinthians 11, Uh, We know that in the early church they started to observe this meal as Jesus uh, commanded his disciples to do. Uh, We know that they began to be obedient and to have this meal together. But in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, we see that uh, Paul writes, as we take communion, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there is this, uh, again, this future... Uh, element that we're looking back and we're remembering Jesus, we're uh, obeying Him in that sense of, of meditating upon His body and the uh, that He gave for us and the blood that He shed for us, and also then that we are looking forward as well. Uh, I love it. I love that verse in Revelation. This is not a patriotic ceremony. This is not just for uh, the church in the United States or any specific region. This is for anybody in all nations who is coming to Jesus and it remembers Jesus' death. The Passover lamb that was slain, it looks uh, forward to the fulfillment of the kingdom. All right, so hopefully that will give us the idea of kind of this prophetic sense uh, in which we participate in communion. So what about the symbols? We got some cups uh, being passed in here, and uh, bread, and some symbolism, and so we want to talk about that uh, this morning. Normally, when we talk about Jesus and communion, uh, we go in an order that says uh, Jesus passed bread among his disciples. And then, uh, likewise, after that, he took a cup and he passed it among his disciples. Well, here in Luke, we kind of see an extra cup. What is this? Somebody, you know, blow out the budget on cups and we had an extra one and so we had to kind of put it in the ceremony. Like, what's going on here? Uh, You might scratch your head. And say, well, in verse 17, it says he took a cup, and this is before the the bread, and he had given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. So the best way for, for me to help you understand this is that this is a part of the Passover celebration. They were celebrating a Passover meal. And then Jesus pivots in verse 19 and says he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. Right, so that's the, that's the symbolism of the extra cup, if you will, that you see that. It's part of the Passover meal. It's not a part of the communion meal, which he begins to institute in verse 19. All right. So he takes bread and he reminds them that this is my body, which is given for you, a symbol of his body, which would be uh, literally given for them uh, the next day as he died on the cross. And then uh, in verse 20, Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, you might wonder, new covenant. What is this language about? I'm going to let somebody be the shining star pupil this morning. If you think back to uh, prophecy in the Old Testament about the new covenant... Where is one place where the new covenant is specifically described? What prophet? Who wants to risk a guess? Hmm. What prophet? Not Isaiah. Good guess. Close. Jeremiah. Okay? Communion meal symbolizes God's covenant. Here it is in Jeremiah. I'm going to go ahead and read back, uh, come back here to this. Uh, This is 31 to 34 in chapter 31 of Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Okay, this is one of those really blatantly clear prophecies, (laughs) a new covenant. And Jesus says, hey, this cup is the new covenant, so we can put these things together. This one is easy. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. There is a finality and a permanence that is uh, easy for us to see if we would just but read these four verses He's not just uh, taking the law and putting it on a book that may fade or uh, from their memories. He's going to write it on their hearts. And there's a permanency in the forgiveness. He says, I will remember it no more. I didn't put this up there, but I'm going to flip quickly to Hebrews uh, chapter 10. I want you to hear this language. Verse 10 says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And throughout chapter 10 we get this idea that the law used to be written in a way that didn't affect the heart. In, in Hebrews 10 the author actually quotes part of Jeremiah 31. There's a permanency in the covenant. And so when we participate In communion, we are joining in God doing a work through His Son Jesus Christ that is a work of finality. There will be no other way that humans experience the forgiveness of sin. Jesus is it. That's the covenant. And the covenant, as we see, isn't based on our ability to keep it. God is the one who comes our way, He does the work. Of sending his son to die and to be sacrificed. It had to be this way. It had to be a perfect sacrifice. Any sacrifice that you or I or any human would bring would be tainted by our sin. God had to sacrifice a perfect sacrifice and that's his son Jesus. It symbolizes his covenant. Put up here 1 Corinthians 11. This is, an, uh, again, a, a place where we see the believers beginning to implement the communion meal. And one of the things that, that happens, uh, here's a warning that Paul gives. He says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in these things? No, I will not. What are they doing? They're, they're putting... They're divided in the way they're taking communion. They're divided as a church. And they're divided even in the way they're taking communion. If this represents God's covenant, we are all together under God's covenant. None of us brings anything special to God. <laughs> in the sense, we receive from him salvation only through Jesus Christ. And so when we when we partake of elements, it, it is a symbol of the way that God relates to us and unites us, not because of what we have done. Finally, the communion meal implies obedience. At the table, in the communion meal, verse 21, Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, for the Son of Man goes, as it has been determined. but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. We see disobedience. We see that Judas will betray The Lord and the disciples are in a fearful time and confusion and not sure what is going to happen. God knows, uh, and and the plan has always been for Jesus. Jesus admits that. I know the way this is going to go, but woe yet to Judas for his choice to betray. We see both of those things coming together. And so uh, what in the world does communion have to do with obedience and disciple-making? Well, let me remind you today of the things that we see in the early church. This should encourage our hearts as we get ready to participate. The Great Commission, Jesus commanded his disciples in making disciples to teach them everything he had commanded. And so in this meal with his disciples, Jesus told them, do this in remembrance of me. So certainly, this is one of the things that Jesus commanded and would have been taught by his disciples. So as disciples, just like these early disciples, as often as they would do this meal, they would do it in remembrance. They began to teach others as the gospel spread to places like Corinth. We see it there. We see uh, believers in Acts chapter 2. Uh, taking what is commonly accepted to be a communion meal together, see it living uh, obediently, uh, we want to be obedient to Jesus. should be the theme of our lives. The things that he asks us to do, we should want to join in because we're not going to find joy outside of a close and obedient relationship with Jesus. That's what's going to change our lives from the inside out. Uh, I, I want to tell you a story. Uh, many of you don't even know that this story happened. It happened several weeks ago. I'm not going to mention the name of the man who came. But there was a guy uh, who, who came and visited me on a Friday uh, on his lunch break. And he had found our church on the Internet. And by watching on Facebook, he had kind of looked for some of the times that we had celebrated communion together. Uh, he had been a part of a, a Jehovah's Witness church for a long time and began to question a lot of the things that were going on. And he was very curious about communion and began to kind of look at what we were doing. And so he came, he he called, and he left a message and set up a time to meet with him, and he came in, and we were just kind of talking back and forth, and... I tried to share the gospel with him uh, using one of the tools, the three circles tool that we've been learning. I shared the gospel with him, talked through implications for somebody who's been a Jehovah's Witness and what it means to, to follow Jesus and try to be obedient to him. But it it's kind of struck me in preparing for this that one of the things he was most curious about from that background was the practice of communion. There was something that wasn't sitting right in, and I don't, I'm don't i not an expert on, on what they do or what they teach about communion, but it was something that that stirred him. And so I'm I'm sitting there thinking back to this a couple of months ago. We had a really great conversation. Uh, I know that um, since then this this guy has been out of town. He's been faithful in a church down uh, in the south. He's doing a a training for his work. And God is bearing fruit in his life. And that is so incredible. His obedience was tied to some of his concerns specifically about communion and what it meant. I thought, man, that is incredible. So, So be encouraged by that i want to give one more illustration as we close. So a number of you are parents or grandparents. Some of you are children and are listening today. And what I want you to do, uh, whether you're a parent or grandparent or a child, I want you to think about obedience in that relationship. If you're a parent, why do you want your child to obey the things that you tell them to do? If you're a child, why do you want to obey? I guess I'm making an assumption. <laughs> why would you <laughs> obey? Or why would you want to obey the things that your parents tell you to do? Why? That's the question we're going to close with. It's possible, as a parent, it's possible for me to want obedience just because it's easier. Just makes things go better. There's no conflict. There's no drama. I don't have to remind anybody about this. Just do it, will you? Life will be easier that way, won't it? I just kind of value some peace in my house and just do it. I'd be alright with that a lot of days. And and some children, maybe the same way. I'm looking to eliminate interference. I guess I'll do the dishwasher. I guess I'll take the trash out. I don't want any interference right now. I guess I'll just kind of do it. So we think about this. Is this really the foundation of what we want obedience to be about? Now let's think about Think about God. What if we came today in our routine of communion and said, you know what, Jesus, I'll obey you. We'll do this thing with the bread and the cup and go through the routine and did that today. Check it off the list. There's really no interference. I participated. How about that? I don't want that kind of obedience in my own heart. I don't don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that way. I want to be able to look and think and treasure Christ. Treasure what he has done. And to let it spur me to think about forgiveness. My relationship with Jesus. To think about the kingdom and its fulfillment. And my role in that. And all these other lies about where I'm going to find real unity in this world... I'm not going to find it anywhere. I'm not going to find joy anywhere. But in being unified with believers from different places in their lives and backgrounds and viewpoints, we're going to come together and obey Jesus. I'm not going to find joy in trying to find forgiveness anywhere else but Jesus. I'm not. Communion is a celebration of that. And so I hope and I pray today that you find something lacking in just that merely functional obedience that as we gather for, for obeying Jesus and remembering what he did for us, that it would be joy overflowing in our hearts. Joy and unity in, in this room, and with those that are participating online, joy and unity with Christians in Kenmore that are celebrating communion today. Praise the Lord, or around the world somewhere, believers are having communion at different times throughout the day today, and we're united with them. Praise the Lord, we want that and desire that. Do we celebrate? What has happened? Do we celebrate what is happening now and what will happen? Do we rejoice at forgiveness in ourselves, in our church, in the church worldwide? Let's join together today in obeying Jesus by taking communion.